Good morning. It is always encouraging to be together. We are grateful that you are here. I was thinking a few moments ago that we have several of our own members who are not with us this morning, several who are out, but we have several visitors with us. We're grateful that you've come our way. We're thankful for the opportunity to worship together this morning, but not only that, to hopefully spend some time in fellowship in, in just a few moments. Uh, it's always good to, to be back here. Uh, we were away last weekend. I think I want to clarify. I think Brian was the one last Sunday that said Joel wasn't here because he's old. And I don't know if that's exactly why I wasn't here. Uh, I was thankful to be able to attend one of my class reunions, and I don't want to admit that those numbers are going up as much as they are, but uh, maybe a little bit of old. I may have won the award for the most gray hair. I don't know, uh, but we're glad to get to do that and to visit other places. We were with the S's congregation in Henderson, Tennessee last week where I grew up and with the Laverne Church of Christ near Murfreesboro last Sunday night visiting friends there. And so we're thankful for the encouragement we take from that as a family visiting and traveling other places. But it's always good to be back home. And I'm thankful to uh, Charles and to Brian who both filled in last Sunday. Uh, but it's always good to be back with you and in study together. We hope that you can be back with us tonight as we usually try to give you a little bit of a preview. If you have your bulletin in front of you, an outline, you notice that it is time for our Book of the Month Club, as we call it. And we're going to be looking at the book of Psalms. Uh, I promise you that it won't be uh, very long. Uh, everybody thinks about how many chapters are in Psalms, and it may take forever, but we're going to try to get through it in about 30 minutes or less, as we usually do. But we're going to try to think of an overview of the book of Psalms. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, well, certainly it would be good for us to consider at least one psalm. Excuse me, at least one psalm. As I was thinking about that, it may be something that we turn into a particular study. I was looking through my library, and I have a book. It's called Hymns of the Heart. Discovering God in the Psalms. It's by our brother Adam Fawn who preaches up in the Kentucky area. I started looking through it and, and even encouraging myself by not only looking at the first psalm, as we're going to do this morning, but at several psalms. So it may be something that we go through several Sunday mornings here. Because as we go through the book of Psalms, there are so many things that are covered. And that's really what we want to talk about in our lesson tonight. We hope that you'll be back with us at 6 o'clock this evening as we gather together to worship again. But as we think about the Bible this morning, about what God would have us to know, and we open our books, our Bibles, to the book of Psalms, and begins with Psalm number 1. You know, God has given us the Psalms because he understands the turbulence of our thoughts, the turbulence of our thoughts and our doubts, and even our reservations in life. I don't know if you've been reading through them. As I was thinking about tonight's lesson, you may recall back at the first of the year, we challenged you. We challenged the congregation to read through the Bible. And so we have a banner out here, if you didn't notice it when you came in, uh, just to the left of the doors as I'm looking at them, where you could sign every time that you read a book of the Bible. We laid out several plans that would encourage you through that, kind of how you could read the Bible through in a year. And one of those was one that had you reading through the entire Bible in one year and through the book of Psalms twice. As you read a certain number of Psalms every day, you can make it through the book of Psalms twice, just one a day. And it's encouraging to think about that. There are so many things, and if you've been doing that, or you maybe have been reading through your Bible and you've already made it through the book of Psalms, you may have recognized it as you read through different ones every day, that there are so many thoughts that are gathered there to encourage us through the difficulties of life. There are so many turbulent times, and we continue to talk about those even in 2020 and 2021 and in the United States of America and how much it affects us, but God understands, and the psalmist 
While many of them are by David, and we'll talk about the author tonight, but while many of them are by David, the psalmist and those who would write these understand by inspiration how they can encourage us through the difficulties of our lives. When we think it's about Psalm number one, God sort of sets the tone. You see, I didn't just pick it because it's the first. I didn't just pick it because it's the most important. But God really does kind of hear the Holy Spirit sets the tone for the book of Psalms about the idea that there are good and righteous people, that there are those who would be sinful and weak, and that we can identify those. Again, increasingly, one of the troubles that we face in our world today is that people don't want to think there is truth or that there is right and wrong or that we can call things what they are. And sometimes things are sinful. Sometimes people are sinful. But God says, yes, there are good and righteous people. And yes, there are sinful and weak people. And so what we want to do this morning is take a look at all six verses, just one at a time. We've got six points to work through here and think about the way of the righteous and the end of the ungodly. First of all, this morning, we notice in verse number one, the seduction of sin, the seduction of sin. The psalmist begins here, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Psalm 1, the book of Psalms begins by saying, blessed, blessed is the man. And we think about the New Testament, the, the ministry of Jesus. Matthew opens with the birth of Jesus and we get a little bit about John the baptizer and Jesus' baptism and Jesus' Jesus's temptation. But we really hit the ground running when we think about Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And God, or Jesus, begins the Sermon on the Mount by saying, blessed. The Beatitudes begins the Sermon on the Mount with blessed, blessed, blessed are those who will do these things. And so the book of Psalms begins the same way, blessed. Now when we think about the Sermon on the Mount and the way that Jesus uses the phrase or the term, we usually say that that means happy. Happy is the man. Happy is the man who would do these things. I don't know that it really kind of encompasses the whole thought, but it's a, it's a good start. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. This is not trivial. This, these are not just great thoughts. You know, our kids, probably like many of you, we enjoy going to the, the Oriental, the Chinese and Japanese restaurants, and you usually get the cookie at the end. You know, the fortune cookie. You open it up, and, and everybody wants to read what the fortune is. That, those, are, those are fun sometimes. Those, those are maybe sometimes true, but we might call them kind of trivial. The book of Psalms is so much more than that. We are going to find out how to be blessed how to be happy. And the first psalm begins, blessed is the man. But notice, there is a negative here, or negatives here. It doesn't begin by doing these things, but the psalmist actually begins by saying, avoid these things. We're going to touch on it in a minute, but many people would think the word of God is simply a bunch of do nots. Don't do this. Don't do that. Hear these rules. Stay away from that. Don't do sin. Don't do these things. Well, there's some truth behind that. There's also some things that we are told we should do, but there are things that we are to refuse. The psalmist begins in the negative with things that we must avoid or refuse. And you know what? There's truth. There's a lot of truth. As Christians, even today, living in the Christian age, there are things we must refuse. Maybe there are actions. Maybe there are words. Maybe there is dress that we need to avoid or refuse. Maybe there are places that we should avoid or refuse. And so even though it's negative, these are things that we need to think about if we want to be blessed. But notice the progression. 
You see, he begins by saying, happy, blessed is the man. But there is a progression here in the first verse. And it's one you've been through. I'm, I'm going to be willing to say you've been through it because I know I have. Blessed is the man who first does what? Who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Notice walking. We would put that on the outside. You know, a person who maybe who walks up on a sinful situation or for us as Christians, we sort of encounter this lifestyle or these things and we just kind of are walking about. We're kind of walking around the edge. We're listening. You know, maybe there are things that we listen to that we should avoid. Maybe there are things that we watch. I don't know if you had the news on lately or movies or television shows, but there's a lot of things that we listen to and we watch and we feel like, well, we're just, we're just watching. We're on the outside looking in. But notice the progression. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. What's number two? Nor stands, stands in the path of sinners. Have you ever been in, in that situation? You see the progression. Well, I'm just kind of on the outside, just kind of listening, just watching. But next thing you know, you find yourself and, and maybe you're hanging around a little more. Uh, you know, it, this, this looks like fun. These people are having a good time. I'm just going to hang around a little bit more. Maybe you even start to look like the situation or look like those folks. Or you just kind of maybe get a little more into it. You think about a mob almost, a mob mentality or, or a crowd that's gathered around. You know, there are people who, who walk up. They're kind of curious. Next thing you know, they kind of walk in, in amongst the crowd. They're kind of standing around. But notice thirdly, doesn't just walk, doesn't just stand, but eventually sits in the seat of the scornful. This is the person who has now gone from watching and listening and maybe even hanging around to unashamed, sitting among the people, in the middle of it, enjoying these same sinful ways. And when we think about the seduction of sin, that is exactly what happens to us. Again, I'll raise my hand and say I've been guilty before. We will slowly kind of enter in, but the seduction of sin is that it drags us in until we are just sitting I, we're just enjoying like everybody else. We're no longer afraid. We're no longer ashamed. And if it's not been you, and chances are it's been all of us, think about the world we live in. How many people today, how many Christians today that began by just looking, but now are in the middle of so many sinful thoughts and actions and deeds, simply because sin seduces us. And so God is going to remind us throughout this psalm that we will be blessed, we will, we will be happy if we avoid this progression, if we stay away from the seduction of sin. But we notice, number two, that part of the way that we do that is through the satisfaction of Scripture. That word, but, that little small word, but. Blessed is the man who doesn't do these things, but instead his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. Verse 1, blessed. Verse 2, delight. It was given for our good, the law of God. We think about Psalm 119 in verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That is what we are looking for. We have delight in the law of the Lord. Look, I don't know what you think of when you think of law. What I'm afraid that we usually think of is we usually think about litigation. We think about a rule book. And so when we talk about the law of the Lord, many people see that and they think, I don't want any part of that. I don't want somebody that's going to tell me what to do and what not to do all the time. I don't want so many rules that I feel like I can't keep up with them all. But it's not. It's not litigation. It's not a rule book. It's not this long list of things that we can never keep up with. But it is instructions. 
the word law there. We think about the, the word that you sometimes hear in the Old Testament, the, the Torah, the way that people refer to it in the Hebrew. The Torah is the instruction of the Lord. Maybe we would do well to forget about and not think about the rule book or the law or the constitution or whatever it is in our world that, that we think, man, that's a lot to take in. And instead look at it as the instructions of the Lord. God is the creator of all things and he has given us a manual. He has given us a way. The designer has made sure, seen fit, that we can have some instructions on how to live, on how to be pleasing to him. And our delight should be in the law of the Lord. Not looking at it as some big, thick book that we can't ever get through and we can't understand and it's too many rules to follow. But it's instructions from God. Here's how you make it through this life. I don't know about you, but it, but it is. It's been frustrating for, for 18 months now or so with, with everything going on in our world. And even before that, with all the disease and the death and the things that have happened for years. How do we navigate teenagers? How do we navigate young adulthood? How do we navigate children? How do we navigate life? The designer, the creator, has given us the instructions. How to be pleasing to him. And we should delight in the law of the Lord. But notice in the second part of the verse number two there, and in his law, the person who is blessed, who is happy, he meditates. He meditates day and night. Now, in my Bible, I have a notation to the center column. Some of you have those kind of Bibles with notes that, that talks about the word ponders. Ponders by talking to himself. It's interesting, but when you look back at the original Hebrew word here in the original language, it actually carries with it the connotation of muttering. Uh, like you mutter to yourself sometimes. It's constantly on our lips. Meditates mutters, always walking around with the word of God on our lips and in our hearts day and night. If we follow his instructions, we will have true delight in our lives. It's not perfect. doesn't mean we don't face tribulation, trials, disease, death, and all those things. But if we truly follow his instructions, we will have true delight in our lives because of the satisfaction of Scripture. Notice number three, the strength of the student. Verse number three. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also, leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. A strong tree with solid roots. If you can see it, make it out on the screen, the picture on the slide. A strong tree with solid roots. We understand that concept. We understand trees that have been standing for long periods of times. When we think about the Bible, I think there's a great parallel. We're going to talk about it a couple of times here in the next couple of points. But I think there's an interesting parallel here between the first psalm and also what we read about in Matthew chapter 13 and Luke chapter 8 of the parable of the sower. You remember that the sower goes out to sow the seed? We read later that the seed is the word of God. When the word of God takes hold in our lives and roots come forth and bury into the ground or into the word, we are strong. And we are like the tree planted by the waters. Luke 8 and verse number 8 where Jesus is giving the parable and then verse 15 where he's describing or giving the explanation of the parable of the sower. But we can have solid roots. We can be strong. We cannot claim to want to be like God yet forsake his word. Let me say that again. We cannot claim to want to be like God, 
yet forsake his word. That's the way most of the world wants Christianity to be. Just give me Jesus. Or, or just let me live my life. I'll try to be a good person. But I don't want to follow this rule book. I don't want to deal with all these things. I don't want to have to read through this. We cannot claim to want to follow God, to want to be like God, yet forsake his word. We understand the concept of a tree planted by the waters, a tree that is continually getting nourishment, that grows stronger and stronger. We've had several trees, physical trees, cut down in our yard lately over the last year or so. And we've been amazed when you think about the root system and as you, you watch those come down, you're reminded about this kind of tree and the strength that we can have if we would just be students of the Word of God. You know, the story is told that in October of 2013, there was a great storm across Great Britain in October 2013. I think four people lost their lives. There's a lot of destruction similar to what we've been facing here in the United States with the hurricanes and things like that. But this particular storm in October 2013 did a lot of damage, in particular in the cities. I think in London, places like that. And what they found was, part of the problem, was that all of these trees were, were blowing over. They were coming out of the ground, and then they were, of course, running into things and causing destruction. Uh, and, again, at least four people lost their lives. The problem with those trees being uprooted was that they didn't, really didn't have any roots. You see, you think about a tree in the middle of New York City, a tree in the middle of London, England. Because of the streets and the sidewalks, there's not a lot of roots. It doesn't take very much then to come along and blow it away and to cause damage. What about us? Are we like a tree that is planted by the water? Do we have strength in the word of God? Or are we like the, the tree who doesn't have any roots? And the first thing that comes along would blow us away and cause trouble. Which leads us to our next point, which is the separation of the sinner. And verse number four, as we've just talked about the student who is like a tree who is delighting in the law of the Lord, who is blessed in the things that he does, the ungodly, verse number four, are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. The separation of the sinner, again, let me draw your attention to the parallel. I think Luke chapter 8, verse 5, and again in verse number 12 with the explanation of those who, who don't, in the parable of the sower, it's the wayside. And with the wayside, the, the actual description that Jesus gives is of the birds that come along. But think about the point that there is something that is not getting the strength it needs. It's not getting its roots down that is likely to be blown away, that is likely not to take hold. The separation of the sinner occurs in verse number four. This is the counterpoint to the blessed and godly man. I don't know how much you've ever been around wheat or grain. I, I obviously haven't very much either. We don't do as much of that based on a, a per-person basis, as was once done, more people involved in it. It's now, of course, done by just a few handful of folks who farm and that kind of thing. But we know from looking back that with wheat, with grain, they would take it into an open space, almost like an open barn kind of area, open air place. They would have things that would sort of toss it into the air, toss the grain in the air, and the usable would come back down, and then the chaff would be carried away by the wind allowing the open air, the space, the wind to blow through would cause that separation where you had the good and the bad was gone. He says here, something that they can understand, and we can understand today, even if we don't practice it as much, that the ungodly are like the chaff, which the wind drives away. The wicked are like chaff. Think about it this way as well. And Jesus comes home and drives this point home again. 
Think about it this way. The chaff is like something that is substantial, that kind of looks like it, but on the inside, it's empty. Jesus would talk about those who are whitewashed tombs. Boy, they look good. Boy, they are painted up and look fancy on the outside, but in the inside, they're full of dead man's bones. Are we that way? You know, we can get all nice looking. We can put on our best on Sunday morning. We can show up. We can sit here, but are we empty on the inside? The wicked are like the chaff, and Christians, followers of God, should not be so. We should not be people who seem to have it all together, who put on a good face, but are dead and empty on the inside. Yet that happens to us, but the psalmist reminds us that that is the ungodly. That is the wicked. And so there is the separation of the sinner. We notice in the fifth place from verse number five that there is the submission of the scoffer. In verse five, he says, continues on, therefore, because the ungodly are like this, because the wind drives them away, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The submission of the scoffer. There will be a great separation. There will be a great separation. The wicked will see the error of their ways. They'll see their error because God will show them. You know, we get frustrated sometimes here in this life because the wicked prosper. It rains on the just and the unjust. We don't always see that those who do the right thing are blessed exactly with money or with health in this life, and so we get kind of frustrated by it. But the wicked, those who would scoff at God, will have their separation. They will see their error of their ways, but not because we are perfect, not because we have it all figured out or can tell them they're wrong, but because the God of heaven, the creator of all things, the son who will judge can tell them and show them the error of their ways. If you have your Bible, turn over to Philippians chapter 2 for just a moment. Philippians chapter 2. We notice in verse number 9, as we think about this great separation, we notice in Philippians 2 in verse number 9 that God also has highly exalted him, that is the name of Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name. Notice verses 10 and 11. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will be a separation. Paul here in Philippians 2 tells of the final judgment. And he says, not few, not some, but all. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. I know it's hard sometimes to wait for those who we want sometimes to get their due. Uh, people who we see who are evil yet are still prospering, we feel like we're the judge and we should want them to suffer. We want them to face their judgment. They will. They will. Not few, not some, but every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. And there will be the submission of the scoffer to God the Father. The ungodly shall not stand in judgment nor sinners in the seat, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. We are thankful that God will prevail, has prevailed, that God will separate, and those who scoff at God, those who are ungodly, those who are wicked, will submit to him. Not on our terms, as we are mere humans who are not perfect, but to the creator. It will happen, and we can take comfort in that as well. Which leads us to the final point from verse number 6. 
Connected with this, of course, is the scene of the sovereign. If you have your bulletin there in front of you, I think uh, I gave Faith a typo and a lowercase s may be there. If you have your bulletin and it's that, you may want to make it a capital S. Because, of course, by the sovereign, we are meaning God. God the Father, Almighty, creator of all things. God is sovereign. And when we think about the wicked and we think about their separation and their submission, it's because of the seeing of the sovereign. We know that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He sees and will punish the wicked. He is not blind, though, at the same time to our own regression. You see, on Wednesday night, if you've been here with us or not been able to, on Wednesday night here in the auditorium, we've been talking about the book, When Shovels Break, about those who are Christians who would come back to God. And what we see sometimes is that, what we need need to be reminded of sometimes, is the fact that, yes, God sees the wicked. Yes, they will receive their punishment. But he also sees our regression. Go back to verse number one and think about that walking, standing, and then sitting. We fall into that sometimes, and God sees that as well. We think about passages like Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Or Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 12. There is a way that seems right to a man. Once again, just to remind you very quickly, think about our world. The world of technology and social media. There is a way that seems right to a man. A lot of people think they are right. The way that they feel is right. But the proverb writer says the end, its end, is the way of death. Just because we think we think something, because we feel something, we must turn to the word of God as we've already talked about. And here's the good news. Really, as we think about this passage, and we say that God is all-knowing, that God sees everything, we can take comfort knowing that God will see the wicked and they will receive their punishment. But I'm afraid what we sometimes do is we get afraid of God. Brother Jerry talked about this a little bit in our class this morning here in the auditorium. But, but we simply are afraid that all God does is see our bad. But the good news here in this verse is that for the one who exalts in the law of the Lord, God sees you too. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. See, I'm afraid that often we think he only sees the bad. And when we are in the midst of sin, we're kind of hiding, cowering almost, hoping that God doesn't see us because he sees everything. We've joked before about that so- about the song that we sometimes sing. There's an all-seeing eye watching you. And we, we feel that way because God is watching and catching all of our sin. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. If you are delighting in his word, if you are following in his way, God sees you too. And we can take comfort and peace in that. You know, there's a man by the name of John Rippon who served one particular congregation, the way the story goes, one particular congregation for 63 years. I need to remind Bill of that. He always talks about how long he was here. 63 years, the story goes, for one congregation. He wanted to put together a hymnal as sort of a gift or, or something to give the congregation. And it was published in 1787. And he wrote this song that we sometimes sing. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, 
to you who for refuge to Jesus has fled. Have you ever thought about those words before? How firm a foundation we have in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said? We can delight in the law of the Lord. We can meditate it in it day and night. And as we conclude our lesson this morning, there is one simple question. Am I blessed? Are you blessed by following after him? By delighting in his word? May we do our best from this moment forward to be sure that we are like a tree planted by the water, steadfast, fruitful, faithful, and righteous. We have an opportunity laid before us each and every day. We have tried to encourage you this year to think about reading the word of God, being like a tree that is planted by the water, taking strength and comfort in what he has told us. What more can he say than what he has said to us? May we take this challenge this morning and delight in the law of the Lord to be a righteous person who, who is a blessed and happy person. May we avoid the wicked ways and the ungodly ways of the world. This morning as we conclude our lesson, we sing the song of encouragement that's been selected that through its words we might invite you to accept the Lord's invitation. You see, it doesn't have anything to do this morning with what we have done or what we have done even in these few moments, but what we have done throughout our lives. As we are here this morning, a possibility exists that you are not a child of God, that you need to submit yourself to Christ in baptism, that you need to put Christ on, commemorate in his death, burial, and resurrection, where his blood will wash away your sins. We're thankful for that opportunity. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God and you would like to know more about his simple plan of salvation, we would study with you even this day and encourage you and help you to understand what the Bible said a person needs to do to be saved. Maybe you've done that in times past. You're here this morning as a Christian, but you know you've not really been living that way. You've wandered away. Your sin has separated you from God. We're thankful for his second law of pardon. You see, once we become a child of God, we are to remain faithful, but that's a struggle. There are so many ungodly and wicked ways that sort of draw us in, and we follow that regression that we read about in Psalm 1 in verse number 1. If you're here this morning and you stand in need of forgiveness of sin as a child of God, you can confess your sins even before this audience even before our elders here who would gl gladly pray with you and for you, you can repent of that sin and pray for forgiveness. God is faithful to do that, as John tells us in 1 John 1. You can again walk in the light as he is in the light. As it has been prayed about and already said this morning, we're thankful for the chance to worship him. We're even thankful for the fellowship that we'll enjoy in just a few moments. We're especially thankful in this moment for an opportunity to sing a word of encouragement. No one here should have to leave with questions on their heart and mind about whether or not you have a home in heaven. You can have hope. You can have confidence. But it comes by becoming a Christian or being right with God. And if you need to make a change in your life, we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.